The former lead of DC Talk comes out as yet another ex-evangelical. This latest Israeli-Palestinian conflict leads me back to some Bible we need to know. We'll do that and more on this week's Corey Act Show. Scriptura, Scripture alone. Believe it or not, for at least some large chunk of the show this week, we have a theme, and it is Scripture alone. It was one of the five solas of the Reformation, back when Martin Luther started that with the 95 Theses on the door at Wittenberg over 500 years ago, and I want to revisit that pillar of the Western Church and the church that Jesus gave us, that Scripture would be the authority above all things, with some very intriguing stories uh, in the news, in the Christian world, and out in international affairs, and a couple more items as well. We'll get started on that in just a moment. But first, my name is Corey Truax. I'll be your host for the hour. Thank you for being with us on his radio talk, 89.7, 91.9, and wherever you find podcasts. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. You can also reach the show at Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. We're actually going to take a question later in the show from Jake, one of your fellow listeners. And if you are so inclined, you can also find the show on, at anchor.fm and support the show financially if you're inclined. And if not, that's okay too. Your ears are just totally valued by themselves. So thank you for listening. Let's start here. The theme of the show is going to be Sola Scriptura, but that might be the idea. Let's, let's build on top of that some of the stories that led me there. I saw the story from a Christian journalist who sometimes gets on my nerves, but she does some good work. Her name is Julie Roys. She put out there that Matt, Kevin Max of DC Talk make, made clear on Twitter that he is an ex-evangelical. We've talked about these folks quite a bit, That and we've gone over their deconversion stories. It's one of the themes on our show over the last few years. We've covered deconversions and, their, and the whys and the wins and the who and all that. Kevin Max hasn't been a significant figure in evangelicalism for 20 years. Probably never should have been. I believe he was the brilliant mind behind. I saw a man. On, I saw a man with a tat on his big fat belly, and it wiggled around like marmalade jelly. I think that's a line from Jesus Freak that Kevin Max gave us. They they were the biggest. Like they were a transgressive type thing in the 90s that DC Talk was going to do rap and rock in the Christian world, and there was. Some upset around it. Either way, the other two, the other two members are still around. Tate, I can't remember his last name, but he now sings with the Newsboys, and Toby Mac does terrible music by himself. I just I can't embrace hip hop at all, and it's all very cheesy. But Kevin Max is out there apparently still doing music, and he put out on Twitter, "My name is Kevin Max, and I'm an ex-evangelical." That's all it said. And then later, he started trying to get some clarity because there were people on Twitter asking, hey man, what's, what's that mean? I mean you were a, a seminal figure in Christianity for a small period of time. Uh, everyone made the assumption you were still faithfully following Christ. What do you mean you're an ex-evangelical? Does it mean you've walked away from the faith? Kevin Max retweeted, I still follow the universal Christ. I have no idea how many people's blogs or podcasts, hey, that's me are using that announcement for further division, but I'm here for the grace. I wonder what that gobbledygook means. He's still here for the universal Christ. Okay. 
like is that the biblical one? It's likely the case this is that gooey thing, spiritual, not religious. Uh, so uh, Universal Christ, he's worried about how many people are going to use it for, uh, blogs and podcasts will use it for division, but he's here for the grace. No idea what that means. There's no theological depth to it. You're just here for the grace. Okay? Well, that universal Christ of yours, if he's the biblical Christ, has a lot of grace, does some other things too. Anytime that you turn God into only one of his attributes, you turn Jesus into one of his attributes, you have violated the uh, the, the entire the totality of God. In some ways, you've taken his name in vain. Now, I would also mention this of Kevin Max. Hey, man, there, there is in this culture that you've allowed to affect your mind, some kind of just chief value on, uh, let's go with, quote, being real. If you're just, as long as you're being real, if you're, quote, telling your truth, end quote, which doesn't exist because we don't all have our own truths, that you're just doing the right thing because you're being true to you. Well, you caused all kinds of division yourself. You kind of, you caused all kinds of confusion because you needed, to some, you needed to say something about you, call yourself an evangelical, and then he seems to be upset that anybody would be confused by it. Or he says he's still following the universal Christ. Let me say that really quickly to respond to that worldly idea that just being true to yourself is by itself a, a good thing. No, it's not. We have even, you know, from Jesus here, he says, people think it's about children, but it's not about children. He says, any of these people who would lead those away from me, so you would lead, lead a young Christian away from me, it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. So, Kev, you've got some influence. You have to assume with your Twitter following, you got some young Christians, and then you confuse them, you lead them away from the, from the real Christ, it might be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and you'd be thrown into the sea. You can just be quiet. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do the evangelical thing. And you can't get mad at us when you have not communicated clearly what you're trying to communicate. So you see, I started with Sola Scriptura. You see how that sits over this? Here's Kevin Max coming out saying, I'm an evangelical. And then when someone wants to respond to it, he's just, well, people will use this for division. That's his response. As if the authenticity of it itself was a good enough reason to say so. But that's not what Scripture would say. Scripture would speak over Kevin Max to say, whatever the grace is that you're here for, there is more than grace in the gospel story. If this universal Christ of yours is not the biblical Christ, then you've got the wrong one, it's a fake one, and probably one you've made in your own image. And the discretion you have not shown, with the influence you have been given, you have not stewarded well your influence, there might be some consequences to that according to Scripture. The Bible, sola scriptura, over, stands over Kevin Mack, stands over us all with its values, speaking back to a culture that says, just be you, and it's a good enough reason to do anything. And the Bible says back, no, we're not here for you. We're here for the glory of God. It's not just sola scriptura, but sola de la Deo gloria, I believe is how that goes. So he has the original tweet, hey, I'm Kevin Max. I'm an evangelical. Someone asks basically what that means, and he's here for the universal Christ, and he's here for the grace. Okay. Then he gets another tweet. Uh, it almost seems like Kevin Max just needed attention that day or something. But he gets another tweet asking him uh, if he was pro-Palestine or pro-Israel. It's a bunch of other tweets asking for his general views on other things since he's an ex-evangelical now. I want to share with you his deep, deep thoughts on these things. One, 
he's anti-war. So he's now listing things. He's listing his, his beliefs. Anti-war. Okay, cool. Yeah, I am too. Pro-peace. Yep. Check that, check that box. I'm super pro-peace. Anti-hate. Yep, I am too. Now, God knows what you mean. Something that the modern secular left has done is taken words and redefined them. Hate now means I don't affirm everything you say. I've been making a big deal lately about how the coexist sticker went out of, uh, out of fashion because that was not the goal anymore. Like the old goal was leave us alone. And now the goal is if I decide tomorrow that my pronouns are they, you will say it. And if you don't, you're a hater. So he says anti-hate, but God knows what he means. And probably only God knows what he means. So uh, he says he's anti-hate, but I'm anti-hate like the real one. He says he's pro-love. Me too. Then he says he's pro-L-G-B-D-Q-I-A. By the way, he left off the plus, so I don't know how inclusive he is because how dare you limit your proness to just the L's, the G's, the T's, the Q's, the I's, and the A's. What about all the other 94? I'll skip that one. He says he's pro-BLM. Again, that one's complicated because the sentence is true, the movement is flawed, and the organization is Marxist and evil. He said he's pro-open-mindedness. Hey, me too. He's anti-narrow-mindedness. Check how brilliant he is. Yeah, I'm going to be a little rough with him. I'm going to be a little rough. He has, he has done something that's very irresponsible. I'm going to be a little rough with Kevin Max. He says the same thing twice, basically. I'm pro-open-mindedness and anti-narrow-mindedness. I wonder how, how true you are of that. I wonder how, uh, how pro-open-mindedness you are to me opening up a Bible with you and showing you your error. He says he's pro-utopia. Now there, he's straight up unbiblical. We are not pro-utopia. We're pro-kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will be utopia. We will not find utopia on this earth. That's some of this spiritual but not religious hippy-dippy madness. He says he's anti-white nationalist. Me too! Like all 20 of them. It's making fun of him here. There are more than 20 white nationalists but I make fun, like I'm making fun in that there's a, a group of people that have had their minds poisoned not by because they have not been thinking biblically. They've allowed the scriptures, the fake scriptures of cable news and print media and their social media feeds. They've allowed those things to disciple them and make them think things like white nationalism is actually a gigantic problem. It's evil. It's racist. It will be judged in the pits of hell forever, and its practitioners will be judged in the pits of hell forever if they do not repent and follow Christ. Nevertheless, the idea that I'm anti-white nationalist as a virtue signal just shows you where he's coming from. Not being spoken over to by scripture, sola scriptura, but it's some kind of poly, so sola meaning one, but poly being many. It's poly sources, but none of them being scripture is from where he's getting his, uh, getting his values. He says he's pro-equality. Again, yeah, actually, you know what? No, I was going to say they've changed the, that term. I'm not pro-equality. I think it's absurd. It's not a, it's not a biblical thing. I'm pro-equal treatment of people, but if you mean pro-outcomes, that's not the case. He says he's pro-vax. Okay. He's pro-music. Hey, me too. He's anti-one percenter, so that means anti-rich people. You know, Jesus wasn't anti-rich people. He wasn't anti-poor people. He was, he was universal in his treatment of humans. He had some warnings to say to rich folks. He had some judgments to give to the powerful. But we have Jesus kindly speaking with the very wealthy 
Nicodemus. We have Jesus dealing with the wealthy, but got it, ill-gotten gains of Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. We see in Jesus' circle some other wealthy people like Joseph, Ar- Joseph of Arimathea, and he never had them repent of his uh, of their wealth. That wasn't it wasn't a sin to have their wealth. He says he's pro poor. Me too. He's pro misfit. I don't know what that means. And he says he's pro Jesus. Yeah. I am, but I'm talking about the one in the Bible. I don't know which one you're talking about. So you, you get my theme here. Sola Scriptura. It's that authority that stands over us all. And now we have this, this uh, Christian celebrity who, if using the Bible as his metric, wouldn't have behaved this way, wouldn't have come out and caused all kinds of confusion, wouldn't hold to most of the views he just put out there on Twitter, but because it's why, how did he get there? No sola scriptura. He had a secular world speak into him. It taught him critical theory and critical race theory. It taught him, uh, it taught him socialism. It taught him equality of outcomes. It taught him secularism. It taught him all of its values and all of its morals. And he did not take it through the lens of scripture. And we end up where we do with Kevin Max. And what I would just pray for him is repentance, faith. To follow Christ, join me in that. I'm not finished. The the way that we see this Israel conflict as well, it's being affected by those who aren't either understanding Scripture properly or are not taking the Scripture seriously enough. And so Sola Scriptura is the theme of the day. We're going to take that over to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and do a lot more. Would you come back for the rest of the Corey Act show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts? From where do you get your values? From whence do you get your method for determining what is right and what is wrong? We're doing that on today's Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Thank you for listening. Find me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I hope you will follow along and we'll have some fun together. Your thoughts are always welcome as well on those social media sites or at, uh, what is that? Show at gmail.com. I recently had a friend ask, do you ever get mean comments like what do you do in that ecosystem of the internet and i do from time to time and i said to him uh, two things one don't care don't do that uh, because it's the internet number two the good rule of thumb in life whoever your biggest cheerleader is don't believe them and whoever your biggest critic is don't believe that person either one of them has rose-colored glasses on, and the other just despises you for some other reason. So I generally ignore the mean comments. I actually, I also don't mind controlling my own internet ecosystem. The delete button on a comment doesn't bother me at all. I don't, I don't put that in the cowardly category. Now, let's get back to it. So Kevin Max of DC Talk says he's an ex-evangelical, but he's following some universal Christ, but not a biblical Christ. And we see that the problem is, well, he's not following biblical Jesus. Right? And he's not, excuse me, the problem is that he's allowed the values of the world, the stuff that he gets through the people he knows, he's been discipled by the people he knows, the TV he watches, the shows he watches, the music he listens to, the culture around him. He's been discipled by the world and its systems and not been discipled by Jesus. And where, where we find Jesus is scriptures. 
So the theme of the show today is Sola Scriptura. That's the only place to find what we need for life and godliness. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it cuts us asunder down to the bone and the marrow. It is, uh, what is 1 Timothy 3.16? It's inspired by God. It's, it's uh, breathed out by God. and It's profitable for doctrine to learn what we need, for reproof to be corrected, and to be instructed in righteousness. It's the lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path. I think I just quoted all the Bible scriptures. Uh, we pant after it or something. That's right. That's what David says. Like we pant after the word of the Lord like a deer pants for water. This is what we need. And I think you'll see that in this next one as well, but it'll have some controversy to it. Every time something happens in Israel, the evangelical world, some portion of it, some sizable portion of it, gets quite excitable. Their social media feeds warn us that big things are happening. Cosmic events are taking place. I hope that didn't sound like I was mocking too much. I am just trying to illustrate that there is a chunk of evangelicalism with a certain understanding of the scriptures that makes them think anytime something's going on with Israel that something of biblical proportion or of biblical import is taking place. I want to be gentle, but I want to correct that. I've done this on the show before, but it's been a while. And it's been a while, I think, because Israel has been out of the news for a long time. There actually hasn't been much of an Israeli-Palestinian conflict going on in that part of the world in several years. And so I've not seen this stuff pop up. But as this conflict raged on in Israel, I kept seeing folks that I love, folks that I respect, start posting things like, you better be careful not to support Israel. Remember that God told Israel, or he told Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you. And so if America curses Israel, then America will be cursed. America better bless Israel, so America can be blessed. I, I better calm, I better lower my heart rate or I'm going to yell and not be kind. The way to win people over is never to tell them how wrong they are. It's to make your compelling argument in a way that says, I understand where you come from. I, I just think you missed something. So let's agree on Sola Scriptura. Let that be the authority. And let's see if we can rightly divide the word of truth here. Israel in the Old Testament certainly was God's chosen nation. Through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's a promise given. I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to make you a people, and I'm going to make you my people. We're going to have a special relationship amongst all the peoples of the world. It's important to immediately remember, too, that in those promises, Yahweh, God, often says, and through you, I will bring all the nations to me. I will display my glory to all nations through you. Not just always ethnic Judaism, but to all nations. I'm going to use you to gather a people of every tribe and tongue. We, we use that language in evangelicalism like it's not a big deal. But guys, what a big deal. To bring people from every tribe? But hey, tribes fight each other. How are you going to do that? You're going to bring a people together of every tongue, but they all speak different languages. How will you do that? Okay, Yahweh, you're going to bring people from every nation? 
you're, like people are going to leave their nations behind and join in with yours? How, how? How will you do that? That's a revolutionary thing to say. And from the beginnings here of the promise, the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob ends up becoming Israel. It means to wrestle with God. He wrestled with God, and God changed his name to Israel. Since the beginning of that, what we were promised, what Abraham has promised is, I'm going to make a people of you, and it's not just going to be for you. I'm going to bring the nations to me through you. And that ultimate promise is kept. The ultimate promise is kept, and you can read about it in the first chapter of Matthew. That through God's sovereignty and wisdom, he will lead his people, the the Jewish people, first into bondage in Egypt, then out of bondage in Egypt, through the land of Canaan, across the Red Sea, across the Jordan River, through Jericho and Ai, and all the lands of Canaan to establish a a people, to have a king, Saul, and then David and Solomon, to split the kingdoms into really dark time, to drag them away into, uh, into bondage in Babylon and Persia. There's an entire story of God's people throughout the scriptures, and all of it is tracing characters that lead us to one person. And we were always looking for him. The Jewish people, God's people, they were always looking for him. It was part of their origin story. Their origin story is that the, 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 uh, the, the first father, as it were, Adam, and the first, the first mother, as it were, in the garden, after the fall of man, are promised, O oh, snake, you... Ha- oh, excuse me. Snake, there is one coming from this woman. And in this that you've done, you will have bruised his heel. But he will crush your head. And ever since that time, the Jewish people were looking for the one that would crush his head. And through that uh, gospel account there at the beginning of Matthew, it's, tr- it's traced the lineage that leads us to Jesus. That the point of giving us Israel and giving us their story was to give the world Jesus. Israel gave Jesus to the world in that way. And be careful about that language, not just Israel. God used Israel as the vehicle to give the world Jesus. And most certainly, listen, God of the Bible, Yahweh, has some unfinished business with ethnic, unfaithful Israel, or ethnic, unfaithful Jews, as in those who rejected Jesus as Messiah. There is unfinished business that will happen, I believe, in the future. But what we, what we know of Israel is God used it as a vehicle to give us Jesus. And it is Jesus then that gathers the ecclesia. That word can both refer and does refer both to Israel and the church. Not that the church replaces Israel, but that the point has always been Jesus. The point of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Caleb, Saul, David, Solomon, all these seminal figures of the Jews, the point of all of them was to point forward to Jesus. And then we finally get to him, and he doesn't build a church that replaces what was before. The entire thing was emanated around him the entire time. Jesus always was the center of everything. So this country of Israel now, and it's 60 or 70 years. The nation sitting on that plot of land over there. 
That's not the Israel of Moses. That's not the Israel of Saul and David. The Israel of God is every human on this planet following Jesus right now. As we stand under his rule, a good king on his throne, we are Israel. We didn't replace them. We always were. And the faithful ethnic Jew who's following Jesus, he or she is Israel. God's chosen people. And so when we take our authority from Scripture, when it is sola, scriptura, only from the Scriptures will I emanate my, my values. Only from Scriptures will I be able to determine the truth. I then come back to things like those who, God's saying, those who you bless, those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. Knowing then that God is saying there, I will bless those who bless the people of Jesus, that bless Jesus' people, and I will ultimately curse those who curse Jesus' people. Not that plot of land. Not that original government, necessarily, that was a monarchy. And certainly not what it is now. This one confuses me sometimes in that the nation of Israel is actually one of the most secular places in the world. The ethics they practice around life, family, sexuality, sometimes well ran well ahead of some of the changes in ethics and life that we had here in the United States, and even in cities like San Francisco or New York. And so this affinity, believer, listen to me, this affinity you have for that land, this worry that you have for your country to be faithful to that country, I do want to deburden you from it. That doesn't mean that Israel did anything wrong, by the way. From a geopolitical standpoint, I'm not telling you Israel did anything wrong at all. I can't believe there's a country on the planet that we actually have to say out loud, they have a right to defend themselves. Like, what a, f- a dumb thing to even have to say. Of course that should be the case. That entire conflict is complicated when it comes to the geopolitical pers- por- uh, pers- excuse me, the geopolitical portion. The biblical one doesn't have to be, though. And if we're going to be sola scriptura people and, and envision the world and interpret the world through our Bibles, then if we get a biblical view of what Israel is, we're going to interpret this piece of news better. So let me ask you, believer, take that burden off of you on thinking your country has to unquestionably, at all times, affirm every action Israel takes. It's not the reading the scripture gives us. The reading the scripture gives us is that the point of Israel always was Jesus, and Jesus is is and has been, and will continue to gather a unique people uh, for himself, a people of God, a chosen people, an Israel of God. Now, staying with the theme of being people of the book, sola scriptura, interpreting the world around us through our biblical lens as believers. I came back across a tool that I that I really did I really do like a lot that I want to reintroduce to you. I think I did this on the show in the early years, maybe year one or year two when I first came across it. And I just in a conversation remembered it and it made me want to go back and talk about this with you again because I'm sure it's it's left your mind because it left mine. And I say uh, this comes under the theme of sola scriptura because what I'm about to give you just comes from social scientists. By the way, for those of you thinking it's about to be the Enneagram, it's not. The, the social scientists 
have some good research here. And if their stuff is true, what we always have to recognize is that no one has ever invented a true thing. They've only discovered truths. Every truth is God's truth. He, in, he created a, 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 an objective reality, and all the things that we discover in it or even make in it are just discoveries and uh, combinations of the things that he made. And so when social science puts something out, some kind of tool, we still subject it to the scriptures and see if it's worthwhile. I'll give you an example on this uh, for the negative. Social science, if that's what you want to call it, put out an idea called critical race theory. It is now showing itself to be antithetical to the scriptures. Some of its earlier renderings seemed not to be, but as it has become really clear just to be an offshoot of Marxist thinking, yeah, it's, it's godless. And so social science put it out there and then we use our Bibles and we look back at it and say, we reject that. We reject critical race theory because our Bibles give us enough information to say that if we contort ourselves into the position of accepting your theory, we will have done so to the detriment of ourselves, to those we love, and to the world around us. Because the world objective is the one God made. And then those who come up with theories and ideas that are not in alignment with objective reality, they're going to hurt people. So we reject that one. But here's one that I like a lot. Your mileage may vary. Let's talk about it. Back in 2011 or 12 from the University of Virginia, Jonathan Haidt became a thing. He's a social scientist now. He's sometimes on uh, the news shows. Like You'll see him on everybody from Bill Maher to Glenn Beck. So you'll get from atheist, liberal Bill Maher to right-wing Mormon uh, Glenn Beck. And Jonathan Haidt appeals to everybody because he's just a social scientist. He just has things to say about humanity. And he has a theory called the moral foundations theory. A lot of that ends up being rooted in his understanding of evolutionary biology about where we got morals. Because this is a secular guy. Jonathan Haidt's not a Christian. But he has some, some curiosity. I love curious people. He has some curiosity to know, how did we develop morals? And for that matter, why are morals... All- so universal. There's, there's some exceptions, but morality is often universal across cultures, at least the, the measurements for it. And so he gets interested in that, starts studying it. You can find his information at yourmorals.org. You can do a lot of reading at yourmorals.org, and you can, like I did, take a quiz to see where you line up on the morals. Now, I want to share with you my results I would love for you to go take the quiz at yourmorals.org, yourmorals.org, and send me your results and see how these things line up. And as we go through my, uh, my results, I'll give you the definitions. So he's got five, five categories of things that make up our morality. And I should say here that he's basically saying every human thinks that these things are what make up morality. And then what's going to determine if you're conservative or liberal or something like that? Because this is political in nature. It's, uh, it's going to determine which of these you value more, which of these you think are the most important. And he thinks it's a tool to help us have better conversations, to understand each other better, especially in the political world, because we'll understand you're speaking a moral language, but you might be talking about one of the fundamentals of morality that I don't really care about as much and you care about it a lot. 
So that's what we're going to get into. And I just came up with a great idea. I'm going to make this a teaser. I'm going to tease this. So when we come back, we're going to take a look at moral foundation theory. The five categories that we found in the social science tend to make up human morality. And you are going to get my results. Then you can go take the test at yourmorals.org and compare. We'll get started on that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truex Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. We've been having the theme today of Sola Scriptura, those of us who are believers using the Bible above all things to interpret the world around us. And I recently got reintroduced to the moral foundations theory. And so, of course, we place this under Scripture, but we see if we have to reject it or, or receive it or maybe modify it from what the social scientists tell us. What they're telling us is five categories largely make up human morality into what we think about as right and wrong, and that often will determine our identification as liberal or conservative and will help us understand each other better. So here is what they, uh, here are some of my results from the, from the quiz. It was fairly long, and you can find it at yourmorals.org, yourmorals.org. The first one is care versus harm. That there is a a morality to us that care is good, caring for others is good, and doing harm to others is largely bad. And on those questions, here is what uh, the Moral Foundations people found. That on a scale from zero to five, for liberals, self-identified liberals, they scored a 3.7, that they score... Uh, 3.7 on really caring that to, to do caring, to do kind things for others and to not hurt them. They scored a 3.7. Conservatives scored a 3.1. So they would say there is some, there's some things in which yeah, I'm not responsible to care for some folks or harm is not always bad. Sometimes harm is a necessity. Maybe in this case, I'm using examples off the top of my head. Uh, maybe the conservative view is some kind of punishment, if like it's spanking or something for a kid it's worth doing because to the conservative, that kind of harm, if you can say that, is is care, but the liberal person wouldn't believe that. Just giving an example, I'm not taking a side on that. Here's where I scored. I'm a 2.2. So liberals have a 3.7, conservatives have a 3.1. I'm a 2.2 and how much I value the care versus harm mentality. I think that's for my fierce individualism. I'm not going to hurt anybody. I don't want you to hurt anybody. I also want you to take care of yourself, unless you can't. That's, I think that's where that came from. Next one is fairness. Liberals scored a 3.8. They're very concerned with fairness. Conservatives a little less at 3.1. And I scored a 2.3. I can't believe that my fairness was a little higher than my harm, because I couldn't care less about fairness unless the fairness is unjust. There is in conservatism, so I identify more as conservative, they scored lower than liberals because I think there is, oh, I'm about to say something so important. Tune in right here. I have been meaning to say this for a while and a synapse just fired on fairness oh, and injustice and all that. Okay. 
one major difference between liberals and conservatives is what we believe about the state of nature. Conservatives know, not think, we know objective reality is that the state of nature is wantonness. The state of nature is poverty. The state, the stage of, the state of nature for humanity is naked and afraid and hungry. And any human by himself, that's all they're having to do is try to fight against that. It's actually the natural thing. The natural thing that will happen if we don't have cooperation and hard work, if we don't do, if we don't do the things that are necessary, the natural state of humanity is fallenness and want and, uh, and all, the thi- all of our needs being unmet. Liberalism believes the natural state of nature is utopia. Everybody would have everything they need. It's just these people. These people over here are the problem. These companies, these corporations, these rich people, these oppressors, if we could just deal with them, everything would be perfect because things are naturally perfect. Things are naturally good. And so when you think about fairness, the conservative actually looks at the world and goes, yeah, life's not fair. Life's like never fair. It's never been fair for anyone ever. It's never been fair to me. The nature of life is that it's not fair. I want people to be fair. And where someone has hurt someone else with their unfairness, we want justice served against the unfairness. But the fact that there's some things end in an unequal place, I'm not surprised by that, and I so I'm not mad at it. And so it doesn't surprise me that I came in really low on the fairness thing. So thus far, liberals seem much more moral, right? They're scoring on a score from zero to five. They really care about harm and fairness. And thus far, conservatives have been 3.1 and 3.1. They care about harm and fairness, the same 3.1, but it's less than liberals. Move on to loyalty. Loyalty as a foundational principle for morality. The idea of being loyal to your family, to your in-group, whatever friends and family you have, that you're loyal to them. Conservatives land at 3.1. Are you noticing something? Conservatives, out of, on a scale from zero to five, are, they care about the dimension of morality, of harm, fairness, and loyalty, all at 3.1. For liberals, it's now gone 3.7 and 3.8 for harm and fairness, respectively. And then on loyalty, 2.1. You know what I got? 1.2. This is one where I could not possibly care less. I'll give you an example of this. I couldn't figure out why so many of my people were so mad about that Colin Kaepernick thing with the kneeling for the flag. And in part, it's because of the loyalty thing. And it also goes to the next one we'll talk about. Because he wasn't being loyal to his country. And I was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. I'm utterly unoffended by this. Like, why? wait, why do you all care? Because he's not, he's not being loyal. He's being ungrateful or something. That's, that's what it is. That's, that's all that is for me. I, I don't feel loyalty to any given group. I only feel loyalty to right and wrong. That which is right, I want to do. That which is wrong, I want to avoid. I otherwise don't feel loyalty. What I feel is the loyalty is right, so I want to give it where it's due. But not because loyalty is good. It's because by being by the good thing to do is loyalty. And so I come in way below conservatives and liberals. Next one is authority. So we have harm and fairness, and then we have loyalty, now authority. 
And so this is the idea of the morality of respecting your parents, respecting the authority of a teacher, respecting the authority of police, respecting your government. It's that those who have been placed in power, do you respect their authority? Remember again, liberals went 3.7, 3.8 on harm and fairness. They plummeted on loyalty to 2.1. You know where they are on authority? 2.1. Conservatives. They go 3.1, 3.1, 3.1, It's actually the thing apparently conservatives care about the most is authority and respect for authority. And you know where I came up? 3.0. This is my first one. This is the first one where it seems like I care about that fundamental part of authority. Uh, excuse me, this, this fundamental part of morality. And here's where that is for me. Biblical worldview. Sola Scriptura. It says to me, God has set up structures, systems. He is the author of governments. He's the author of family. He's the, he is the, the sovereign overall. He is an authority. And then he doles out authority to your dad, your mom, to teachers and, and your local government. And then your other, other governments and to police. He, he hands out authority to others, allows them to use his authority. And so I look at it and go, yes, that's good. I like authority. If it's properly ordered. Those who want to tell me what to do and they don't have the right to, I couldn't care less about those people and I will not listen to them because they're not my authority. Uh, but liberalism looks at it and thinks uh, lowly things. They think lowly of authority. Now, I think that's changing over time. I, I, this is a, a survey that's been going on for 10 years because when you do your survey, your results get added to this. Uh, more and more, it seems like the left loves authority, loves authoritarianism, and feels safe when authority is being yielded strongly. So uh, I think that's all the examples you need on, on authority. Um, maybe I could give another example there. You could go back to the gay marriage battles of the early 2000s or mid-2000s. The idea there of authority is the, uh, the authority of tradition, you could even put tradition in here as, as one of the definitions with authority. So the liberal mind says, because we don't think it's fair and it will cause harm, we need to have gay marriage. Where the liberal says back, well, whatever unfairness it is and whatever harm it is, it's worth it to uphold the authority of our tradition or the authority of civilization for millennia and in every, and in every people group. Okay, I'm going to get back to this because I'm going to run out of time. So, harm, fairness, loyalty, authority. What we found as is conservatism has been consistent around those, on those four. Liberalism has cared highly for two and lowly for two. Our last one is purity. So, th this is several different categories, but let me give you the numbers. Conservatism on, on a scale from zero to five had a three on their value of purity. And... Liberalism was half that at 1.5. I was also at three. The issue here is the, the definition of purity is changing. For a long time, bottom line, that has often been about sexuality. The, the ethics we hold around sexuality. And again, today being Sola Scriptura Day, I hold to a biblical sexual ethic. And so all sexual behavior outside of that ethic I'm going to object to and, fi and find objectionable. And there is the, the libertine idea of secular leftism that 
there's basically nothing unpure. There's no line to there's no line that you can't cross. But part of the social science they're finding here is more and more for the left. They're finding things like those who would drive an SUV because how it hurts the planet. Or those who eat factory farm meat that you can get at the grocery store. Putting those things in their body, putting GMOs in their body, is now becoming the signs of purity. And they're starting to care more. It's just they're redefining purity. So I give you all the information for a couple of reasons. One is this. It's worth recognizing that conservatism generally comes from a worldview that looks at all five of the fundamental fundamentals of morality and cares about all of them trying to keep them in balance. When you are talking to someone on the left, what they care about is, does it seem fair to me and does it hurt anybody? And if, if, that, uh, if fixing the fairness and the harm thing means that we've got to throw off authority or tradition or be unloyal, be impure, even be immoral to get what we want for what we think is fair and harm, they'll do that. Or excuse me, what is fair and caring? Where the conservative is trying to keep them all in balance. So it's, it's important to recognize that here in Conversations. Be looking for that. How much does this person care about harm, fairness, loyalty, authority, purity? And it might help you have better conversations with people about political things. And then, uh, second, I'd love for you to take it. Yourmorals.org, yourmorals.org, and you can see where you line up on those things. I am running out of time, and so I did want to get to one question from Jake before we get finished with the show. Hi, Jake. Thanks for writing in. You can be like Jake and write to the show at CoreyTruexShow at gmo.com, CoreyTruexShow at gmo.com, or find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can message me there, comment there, and I'd be glad to take questions. I actually would love to do an episode here soon that's just Q&A. You ask me stuff that you think I'd have an interesting answer on, even things that I have no authority in, like marriage, parenting, uh, all kinds of stuff. There are some things I have some expertise on. Maybe you want to ask about those, but I am encouraging question asking like Jake did. He is responding to my last episode where I was talking about a woman who was showing a rational fear regarding going back into the world maskless because of her four-year-old son, uh, even though she had been vaccinated and the virus doesn't seem to affect kids. Like she was showing an irrational feel, fear. I was saying, hey, be patient with people like this. They have gone through an an incredible 18 months or so. They were being told by their media outlets that death and destruction were imminent and inescapable. They became attached to masks. So be patient with people as they try to get back into the world and live like we all did once. And Jake asked a good question. I'm going to paraphrase it and shorten it, but a good question. Are there, here's the question, are there reasonable expectations we should have for ourselves and others in confronting our irrational fears? It's a very good question. For ourselves, let's start there. My answer is yes. There are phobias we have. There might be experiences that we've had that cause that phobia. And there's triggers we have. I don't think we need to make fun of that word. It's a well-documented mental health concept. Things trigger us. And to, to bring our minds 
into the, the way that God designed them without whatever trauma caused the trigger or that phobia, yeah, I think it's worth doing the work. I could quote you some scripture here and say that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. That's a little out of context for this discussion, but there's a concept there that we aren't the fear people. And where facts are out there that would respond to our fears and say, don't be fearful. There's nothing to be afraid of. I mean, if someone had an irrational fear of flying, it's actually per capita the safest way to travel. It is incumbent, I think, on us to let the facts affect our feelings. And then for others, yeah, it is a reasonable expectation for people to not act irrationally around fear of flying or fear of COVID. And so I want to balance that, though, with patience. Yes, it's, I look at that woman and say, to be a good citizen, to be a good neighbor, you're going to solve your psychosis. You have a psychosis here around COVID, around you have overestimated its threat to you, its threat to your child, and I want to be patient with you. And while I'm patient, trying to be a good neighbor to you, could you be, good, could you be a good neighbor to me and start trying to work this out? Because I've got a, a bevy of facts here, a bevy of data that I can show you that will respond to your fear. It will say to your fear, your fear doesn't make any sense. You shouldn't have this fear. So to Jake, good question. Yeah, it's reasonable. It's reasonable for us to let uh, to go find the facts that would respond to our fears and to, while being patient, help others see facts that would respond to their fears so that they can feel different. There was more I wanted to get to today. We'll solve it for, excuse me, we'll save it for maybe some bonus content or we'll just save it for next week. I think I have some thoughts on this Demi Lovato thing where she wants us to all call her they. There's a deeper thing there I want to get to. We'll try to get to it here soon. Court Track Show listeners, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Hope you will. Support the show at anchor.fm and always grateful when you share the show. I'll be back with another new edition next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love. <laughs>